Welcome to Hanging On For Hope. I am your host, Andrea Page. Hanging On For Hope is the stories about people working to overcome trauma and adversity, from incarceration to kids in crisis, postpartum depression, acute grief and loss, and serious health challenges. We hear from the everyday people on what they are going through and how they get through it. We also hear from experts on the latest strategies, supports, treatment, and brain science for overcoming adverse life experiences and improving quality of life. The human experience is influenced by so many things. Together, we can learn how to overcome the more difficult aspects of life while seeking personal, social, and political justice. Today's guest is Sana Atikomar. She has a master's in counseling psychology with extensive experience working with people from diverse ethnic and religious backgrounds and treating clients with a history of trauma. She has also worked with a wide range of ages, including children as young as preschool age. Her experience includes co-creating a program for mothers and their children, helping them create stronger bonds. Santa believes you are the expert of your life. Each person's struggle is unique, and therefore a one-size-fits-all or cookie-cutter therapy approach is not effective for most people. Her therapeutic approach is integrative, utilizing a combination of cognitive behavior therapy, dialectic behavior therapy, and acceptance and commitment therapy, mindfulness, art, and play therapy. Welcome, Santa, to the show. Thank you, Andrea. Thank you for having me today. And thank you guys all for joining us today. Crazy times we are in right now. Yes, definitely. So I, you and I have been talking for the last week about getting together and, you know, hosting a chat like this together where we would invite people on so that we would give people an opportunity to get support, ask for support, and learn how to be better support. Um, I don't think that there's anyone on this call or anyone that I know in my life, if they themselves are not in crisis, they certainly know someone who is. Um, and I think in my case, you know, because I spent a lot of time dealing with my own trauma as well as, you know, uh, working with people who are in crisis, uh, I'm certainly seeing that there's a lot of people who are kind of coming to that critical point right now. Um, you know, this is, it's kind of been the straw that's broken the camel's back for some people. Um, and I have also just noticed things like when I'm at the grocery store or I'm on Facebook, people are pretty edgy and angry and intolerant. Um, and I know that you wanted to start talking about, you know, what are the things that are impacting people's tolerance levels um, and starting in childhood and, and how we're kind of set up to be triggered. Yeah, absolutely. Um, first of all, even if you're someone without a history of trauma, I know right now, a few weeks into social isolation, um, all of us are feeling something, right? Whether that's uh, loss of your job, loss of your normal schedule, loss of freedom, um, maybe your kids are home with you and you're starting homeschooling. Um, this is impacting everybody on some level. So regardless of your history of trauma, um, you might be feeling that your stress and your anxiety is spiking right now, and that's completely normal. Um, but that might be intensified for some of us that have a history of trauma. And um, that's kind of where I wanted to start today with uh, sharing some of the research with you guys on how that history of trauma um, changes our brain and our stress response. And so that when we are triggered again or put into situations like this new normal with COVID-19, um, you know, people with trauma backgrounds can react very, very differently. 
So um, I wanted to share with you guys, there was a study done um, by the CDC in America. Um, they did a study with about 17 and a half thousand people um, in the United States. Uh, and they did a questionnaire with 10 different categories. I'm gonna try to remember all of them for you guys, but there's 10 different categories on physical, emotional, sexual abuse of yourself uh, in your childhood. Um, also, if your parents had ever been physically or emotionally neglected, um, if there was ever any mental illness in your family growing up, substance dependence, incarceration, uh, parental separation, and domestic violence. So it kind of goes through these categories and it um, surveyed these people and they found um, after following them for a certain extended period of time, um, that about two-thirds of our population um, has been exposed to one or more of these adverse childhood events. Um, so they call them adverse childhood events or ACEs. So I'll call them ACEs just to, for consistency's sake. Um, so, and they found that if you're exposed to two or more ACEs before the age of 18, it has a significant impact, not just on your mental health, but on your physiology. So they found if you were exposed to four or more, you were three times more likely to have heart disease. You were three times more likely to have um, lung cancer and less life expectancy. Um, and, and the more ACEs that you had, this effect became cumulative. So we know that cumulative adversity has an effect on us. The more stress we've been exposed to in our childhood, um, the more the impacts of these ACEs will be in our adulthood. So I'm not here to share that to scare you guys, but to just show you that this is very real impacts on our physical and mental well-being. Um, the good news is that we can um, interrupt some of these effects. As soon as we know that you have had some of these adverse childhood events, um, we can start intervening um, as early as young children, all the way up to like in adulthood. If you recognize that you were exposed to these ACEs, um, you can start doing things to uh, interrupt some of the effects of that. And that's almost immediately when you start um, practicing some of these uh, um, helpful uh, coping strategies that I'm gonna share for today. Excellent. Yeah, so I just want to pause and see if there's any questions about that or if you have any. I'm just checking to see if there's questions. Not so far. Um, so I wanted to, uh, you know, I love that you shared that um, kind of that background. And I think one of the things that, I, you know, my goal of this workshop is to have everybody walk away feeling like they have, you know, some tools and some reminders. And I know that there's some people, I've got a few people on here who are, who are training to be therapists themselves. And I'm so grateful. Uh, I have lots of people who I know that work with people at risk on this call um, who probably know the tools, but I think what I'm noticing. So for example, I've done a lot of the work myself. I consider myself very trauma informed. Um, but you know, I am noticing as any acute situation that comes into my life, my sleep patterns are getting messed up again. Um, I'm, I've been having a lot of panic attacks. Uh, I find every time I go to the grocery store, I'm actually feel destabilized for the rest of the day. Um, it's other people's energy is really affecting me. Um, and I have the tools, but you know, I would love to get those reminders of kind of some of those grounding techniques that we can remind ourselves that we can use and that we can share with others. Okay. 
Um, so the very first thing that we can do is to raise awareness, right? So um, raise awareness um, in our communities and within our friends and family that we ha are um, experiencing a stress response or we've had a history of trauma and that this is a difficult time, um, but also awareness for ourselves, right? Um, if you don't recognize that those symptoms are coming up for you and that you are being triggered, it's hard for you to cope, right? Um, so I'll use a really classic example. I'm sure many of you have heard of this before, but um, it's an example of the fight, flight, or freeze response that we have. Um, so if you imagine yourselves um, out camping and you see a bear, okay, it's within um, your eyesight and you see a bear, um, what will happen is your amygdala, which is the fear center of your brain, will activate. So what it does is it sends signals to the rest of your body, um, releasing adrenaline and cortisol. So your body will start noticing that your heart will start pounding faster, your pupils will dilate, um, your oxygen gets sent to your muscles. Um, basically, your body is ready to take on an attack, right? Um, what also happens is a signal is sent to your prefrontal cortex, which is the executive functioning and judgment center um, of your brain. And it turns way down because you obviously don't want uh, judgment to come in the way of survival, right? So um, what will happen is your um, fuel storage, insulin activity, digestion, all of that will go way down. So basically you're in this like fight or flight mode. Um, and that can be good if it's uh, in the situation, in the moment of like a bear attack situation, right? Um, now, you can imagine if someone has repeatedly been exposed to this over and over and over again, right? So we're talking about past traumas where someone's um, stress response has been triggered repeatedly. Um, that is not so helpful, right? Because now, like you said, Andrea, if you're in a supermarket or um, you're just out and about doing errands and you're constantly being triggered and you're feeling that fight or flight response, you're feeling um, that panic, fear, anxiety, that's all part of that um, sympathetic nervous system response. Um, so your blood pressure is going up, your heart rate is going up, you're, you know, you're ready to like fight or flight. And, um, you know, your body takes up the right yeah so, for sure I, I was gonna say too the one thing that I've been trying to remind myself and others is that when I'm observing other people's behavior um, no matter how difficult it may seem to be it may be to understand but trying to have empathy and 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 understanding that I don't know that person's story and I don't have any clue what their coping tools are and, and, and not reacting to reaction with more reaction, right? So I think that that is the piece where I keep driving that point home to one another is that we, we have to have grace and be gentle with each other. And, you know, if you, I think the thing, even on Facebook, I think one thing that's really agitating a lot of people is that there's a lot of people who are are really gravitating towards the conspiracy theories and and I even think that that's a coping mechanism for a lot of people right like it gives them a sense of control over their lives where they don't have control I was curious to know what you thought about that yeah I mean one thing that we are telling people that are experiencing anxiety right now is to focus on what you can control right um, right now we have control over very little, but focusing on what time you wake up, what time you go to bed, what time you can eat, like those are things within our control right now, right? 
um, getting up and changing your clothes out of your pajamas and getting into like, um, if you are working from home, like changing into what you would normally change into to go to work or, um, you know, eating those consistent meals. And you mentioned um, sleep disruption, right? Um, we know that when you sleep, you kind of recalibrate, right? So sleep is, is so, so helpful to be sleeping at the right time, at the same time, sorry, consistently every night. Um, sleep hygiene, not sleeping with your phone or like a um, any other device, t watching TV right before sleeping, just proper sleep hygiene before sleeping. Um, is so important as well. Um, so we do have a question now. Um, and the question was, how do I uh, stop this event, this pandemic, from becoming an adverse childhood experience for my child? Yeah, so the, the key is that you are even aware that it could be something traumatic for your children. Um, we find that people who had a high a number of ACEs as children often had parents with um, high ACEs that weren't um, able to be good support systems for their children. Um, so first of all, good on you for even recognizing that this could be a traumatic event for your child. Um, second is that um, consistency of that routine, that control that I was saying. Talk to your kids if it's age appropriate, if they're older, um, see what kind of media they're exposed to. What are they reading on social media? What are they watching on the news when you have it on? Are you watching every day the numbers of how many cases are coming out? Um, these are all messages that are being sent to even our little ones if we're talking about, oh my goodness, another person died, or oh my goodness, there's this many cases. They're constantly absorbing this information. So just making sure that it's age appropriate for your little ones, um, that you're not in a state of fear and, fear and panic even at home. Um, create some kind of normal routine for you guys as much as you can. Um, I, I would really recommend that. Um, and then a big one is we know that ACEs are interrupted by safe, stable connections. And guys, it takes one connection. One safe, safe, stable connection for a child is enough to reverse some of these effects. So, um, you know, just really making sure that you're taking care of yourself before you take care of your kids. We've heard about this so many times, like put on your own oxygen mask before helping others. You can't pour from an empty cup, right? Um, you need to make sure that you're taking care of your own mental health and your own physical health and well-being um, so that you can help your children, right? And just recognizing what do I need um, to be in a, in a position where I can be uh, helpful to my own children. Yeah, no, for sure. And I wanted to just revisit what you just talked about uh, in terms of routine. I can say that I am struggling uh, as a parent of teenagers um, and also giving myself forgiveness, but also really wanting to, you know, if this is going to go on for months more, but I am hearing, and in fact, I actually have spoken to somebody else about doing a workshop just related to teenagers. Um, you know, a lot of people are struggling and, it, and also because I'm working from home, I don't have the energy to battle with them to get them out of bed in the morning. And I am noticing that, you know, we have now fallen into a pattern of they are sleeping pretty late. Um, and I've let it go because I don't want to have conflict. To be honest, the conflict's not worth it for me. Um, but at the same time, I do want to introduce that some sort of routine. So this is what we've negotiated in my home-ish. <laughs> you know, they, I, I ask that they get up by 11 o'clock every morning. 
um, and that they take an hour for themselves to get ready and that the afternoon is spent structured doing their assignments with intermittent movement breaks. Um, so, and it's not always working, but it's, I, I, you know, I often wonder, I look at them, like I ask them all the time, like, are you guys getting depressed? Like, how do you feel? Are you okay? And, you know, the answer usually is not, like, I mean, teenage boys don't often want to admit that they're depressed. I feel like it's a pretty safe household, but often they're just like, we're bored. Like, we just, you know, so uh, do you think that in a situation like mine, I should be pushing a little harder for the routine? Okay, so here's the thing. Just like we're grieving the loss of all these things, of normalcy, of social interaction, of job, school, all of this stuff, um, your teenagers are grieving too, right? Just like you would grieve any other loss, they're experiencing all the stages of grief, right? So they might be um, in like sadness, anger, you know, irritation. It could be going back and forth. Um, the stages of grief are not linear. They can jump from one to the other. Um, and that's totally okay. So just giving them some, some time. It's only really been a few weeks. Um, but also just watching, there's a difference between sadness and, and you'll know your kids best, right guys? So um, sadness is different from depression, right? Being a little bit sad that they miss their friends, sad that they miss their routines or maybe sports or whatever they were involved in before um, versus like, I cannot get out of bed anymore. Um, it's very different, right? Or like those physical aches and pains they start feeling, um, you know, loss of appetite, loss of sleep routine, that kind of stuff. Um, in that case, I would highly recommend reaching out to a therapist, um, you know, if you're in contact with one or reach out to one if you don't have one. Um, but uh, yeah, just really, uh, you know, every case is so different. But if you feel that your kids are really just truly bored, and it's not depression, it's just, you know, struggling to get back into routine, what you shared, Andrea, sounds great. I think an expectation of being out of bed by 11 sounds great. I feel like um, it's quite reasonable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And of course, teenagers are, are different and they need a lot more sleep for sure. Um, but yeah, setting some kind of loose schedule that works for your family. And if a day or two isn't stuck to the schedule, like it's not a huge deal, right? Um, be kind on yourself too. You're going through a lot yourself too, right? Yeah, no, for sure. I have another question actually. I'm just going to read it to you. Uh, how do I help a child who's entering their teens who already has mental health issues and doesn't want help, refuses to see the psychiatrist, the doctors, a very angry child with the world? So this poor mom, she's at home trying to support her child alone and the child, like most many children at that age, start to be very resistant to help. Uh, I have a feeling what your answer is going to be, but uh, I'm curious, uh, you know, how can we support this this mom who is at home dealing with her child who already has pre-existing mental health issues and she's, you know, left to really deal with it on her own and try to manage her other children? Yeah, so we can't force someone to go for therapy, right? Um, I, I've seen people drag their kids in for therapy and... Um, it, it's more for the parents than for the child. So if you find that maybe um, as a parent, you need some supports, I would first highly, highly recommend you reach out um, for supports as well. 
Um, and then all you can do for now, if you can't force your child to go for therapy, but if you could resource them, um, psychoeducation, just informing them of like, listen, I'm here for you. If you don't want to go see a professional, I'm here for you. I'll go see a professional. Um, these are some resources, you know, leave them out on a table, you know, discuss it over dinner, whatever is a safe and kind way to approach your teen um, instead of kind of forcing this on them because that might push them away even more. Um, so yeah, I would just say psychoeducation, resource them, get some help yourself, some supports. Um, if this was non-COVID-19 time, there are some um, great uh, groups for youth sometimes um, that I could recommend trying out. Um, your teen might be more inclined to talk in a group setting of their peers, um, but every child is so different and this is not the time where we can be meeting in groups anyway. So um, yeah, that's what I would recommend. For and then perhaps getting your child to make the, giving the child the opportunity to make the calls themselves, like just leave those numbers around the house. Uh, and make sure that they have access to the phone. I think it is such a precarious age and a lot of inner conflict when you're a teenager, no matter what your family circumstances are, are going to be mirrored back onto the parents. So you may not be the person that they want to talk to ever at this stage, even on a good day. Uh, so, and, and you know, I think that I, I feel so much uh, compassion and empathy. You know, I, I also know now multiple people who have friends and family members and and children who have relapsed um and you know i'm not certain right now what supports are in place for these families when they're in actual acute crisis um it seems like an impossible circumstance and it seems like we the community have to really support one another um what are your thoughts on that Absolutely. And I'm hearing so many people in my own community in the mental health field, um, like all of us have now gone to virtual therapy. I, I was a virtual therapist before and, and I'm still continuing to provide those services. But many of my peers who were face-to-face -face therapists um, are now also providing online counseling. Um, there are many text apps people can use. Um, there are many free webinars people can join. Um, I, I know that the government is providing many um, free resources and supports. So if you check the supports available within your province, um, you should get lots of resources from there. Um, there's lots of ways that we can um, reach out to these resources online now instead of having those face-to-face. -face. Um, I also just wanted to share a couple more coping strategies that we were talking about before. We talked about sleep um, and nutrition, a little bit about eating. Um, but also exercise. I mean, Andrea, you of all people, <laughs> you're a great plug for this too, but, um, you know, as regular it, as exercise, is Mike. Andrea, <laughs> yeah. Okay. You guys can both speak to this too, that, um, we know regular exercise is such a good way to kind of balance those stress hormones and to get, um, us feeling a little bit better and motivated and get, um, you know, those endorphins going. Um, the other thing was mindfulness. Um, this doesn't have to be in a classic mindfulness meditation sort of way. If that works for you, great. There's so many apps out there. Um, you can download so many free apps um, that will lead you through guided meditation daily. You can set the time that works for you. If you're, you're like, I can't do more than three to five minutes, do it for three to five minutes. Um, or it can just be sitting quietly with your thoughts. Um, put on some music if that works for you. However you want to do mindfulness, um, I can also send Andrea some resources, some great um, links 
masks um, if you guys need those. But um, that really helps stimulate our parasympathetic nervous system. So remember we talked about the sympathetic nervous system that activates our fight or flight. Um, so we're trying to kind of calm that down a little bit by activating our parasympathetic nervous system. And that's what mindfulness helps to do. So it helps to like, um, you know, decrease your heart rate and decrease your blood pressure and um, help you feel a little bit um, more into that calm zone. Um, and then the other thing I was going to say is um, reaching out to a professional. If you recognize that you're doing all of these things already and you're still struggling, um, there's no shame in reaching out for help. Like I said, call, text, do online video chats with a therapist, find out who's available in your area um, and, and reach out for help if you really need it. Yeah, absolutely. And I just wanted to, to speak on the exercise part personally. I mean, it's been a part of my personal narrative for years uh, in that, um, sorry about that feedback, everyone, um, a personal narrative for years that, you know, I coped and processed my postpartum depression with exercise. Um, and I would say today, still today, you know, exercise is the foundation of how I get through difficult times, physically moving my body. And in that, I also recognize that when we are overwhelmed and depressed, um, that it's not easy to, to take that first step. Um, and I, I, I often say to my clients, you know, I have to exercise every day because I have to show up for you, right? So there's no option for me. And, and, and that's been an interesting life lesson that I share with people that you sometimes have to back yourself into a bit of a corner to make yourself take action. Um, so I want to share something I did with my 17-year-old my who, again, as we talked, I think last week he slept till four one day. So I asked him, you know, are any of your friends, like, why don't you get together and, like, work, do a workout with your, like, with, you know, some of your peers? And I said, why don't I help you put together a youth conditioning class and I'll, I'll supervise it. I'll be in the room. You know, you can be my apprentice. So now Monday to Friday at four, he leads a youth conditioning class. Um, and he is noticing it's been interesting because one, it's given him a bit of purpose. Every day he has a reason not just to show up for himself, but to show up for others. Um, but he is also recognizing that it is really challenging to get his peers to show up. But as I keep saying to him, don't give up. Every day, ask them. Every day. And you know, he's been, he's, it's been rewarding for him to see that when he's, when he's really kind of pushed through and not given up on somebody that, oh, a new person's showing up today. Oh, a new person's showing up today. And then I'll say to him, go ask them, how did they feel after? Like, don't just do the class with them, check in with them, ask how they felt after. Um, so uh, I think just with teenagers as well, um, uh, another thing that I have done, um, I actually gave a, I gave some flowers to a woman in my community who was having a really bad day and she called me and she thanked me not just for the flowers, but she said, Oh, my, my daughter has now adopted this flower and every day it's her thing to take care of. Um, so I think giving your child, um, something to take care of, it could be a plant. Um, yeah. if, if you're in the, uh, you know, if it's something that you can do, I know a lot of the shelters are desperately looking for animals to be adopted right now. Um, animals are such great therapy. Totally. And I was going to just add to that. Those are amazing examples, um, Andrea, of 
of connecting to your values. So in acceptance and commitment therapy, we talk about like core values and um, just real quick, if I could explain what a value is. Um, the values are things that kind of are the core of you, like what is important to you. And it doesn't have to be like something that you follow today. It could be like the ideal you. Maybe you don't do it today. Maybe like, this is how I want to be. This is my ideal me, right? And goals are things that you can like check along the way um, to, to living according to your value, right? So if you think of it as like driving in a car, your value is like the direction you're driving in. And the goals are maybe all the things that you see along the way on your drive, but you're still driving towards that direction. Um, so I always encourage everybody to think about what are your core values? And so in your example, Andrea, maybe um, saying physically fit is a core value for you, maybe taking care of others and taking care of um, something, being nurturing and providing that kind of caring um, is, is really important to you and you can do that by um, working out or doing those online um, workout sessions for other people or taking care of a plant so um, I would really encourage everyone to um, kind of take a minute to think about what are your core values and they could be like 10 of them but kind of bring it down to three core values of like without these it's not me right this is who i really am and these are the goals that i was doing before covid 19. maybe i was going to the gym before and i was going for a run before um those were goals before but how can i still maintain this value at home um by maybe just switching it up a little bit i can work out from home i can um, still go for a run outside when it's nice. Um, I just can't go to the gym, right? Yeah. So really trying to connect to those core values um, from home with what we have with the social yes. isolation being. Yeah. But I think you actually just recognized some, you just pointed something out inadvertently, right? In order to do that, we have to actually go through those stages of grief and get to acceptance, right? We have to accept where we're at so that we can adapt. Yeah. Right, so um, I've got another uh, kind of statement and question um, from Mike. He was saying, Santa was talking about the fight or flight response. I've also learned to include freezer fawn, the four Fs, when looking at my trauma. I found that when first challenged with COVID-19, my response was to freeze. Mine too, Mike, frozen. Uh, I literally had trouble doing anything, even getting out of bed. When the normal sense of safety I had taken for granted was ripped away from me. I think to Santa's point, I was being called to grieve its loss. I wonder how much our youth have been affected by this, but struggle verbalizing it. Yes, so true. Yeah, Mark, so actually, um, you're right, we call it fight, flight, or freeze. And if you kind of imagine it as like a bell curve going up, the middle part of the bell curve as it goes up, the middle hole chunk is that fight or flight it's that sympathetic response and at the very top of the curve so some people go through fight or flight all the way to the top um, and almost dissociate it's that feeling of like shutting down um, uh, almost like numbness that feeling of like even trapped hopelessness kind of like i give up you know that freeze state up there and and your parasympathetic nervous system kicks in right um, and, and you're absolutely right. Like lots of people will just move right through it to the top and just kind of hang out there because that's more comfortable um, for them because it's like, it's too much for me. I don't want to feel this. Um, and many children could be doing that, teens, adults, everybody. Um, the, the interesting thing about this response though is fight or flight is at the very top of the bell curve. Um, and the only way to come back down is through fight or flight. So when you want to come back down from freeze, 
um, you got to feel all those things. You got to um, feel that worry and panic and anxiety in order to come back down to your baseline. Um, so I don't know if that answered your question. I feel like it's a good time to talk about more grounding exercises. So some of the things uh, uh, that my family has learned as we've gone through our healing our trauma. So we've learned, I can't remember what they call it, the, the five senses, right? So when you're walking, you notice five things that you can smell, or it doesn't have to be five things, three things, three things you can smell, three things you yeah. can touch. Uh, three things um, you can see, three things you can hear. Uh, and it's just an exercise that if you feel panicked, uh, uh, just a simple, anyone can do it anytime, anywhere exercise. Um, I've also done um, uh, a lot of emotional freedom technique over the years, uh, tapping, and I probably no longer do it perfectly. Um, but I do find that it might be my go-to that if I'm sitting in the car and I'm having anxiety, that I will find touch, 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 touch. Those sensations just allow me to get grounded in my body. Uh, as well in my classes, I find this is a really big one for me, and it's just something I do instinctual. I, I actually like to really ground myself by noticing where my body is holding tension. So maybe it's in my chest, but I actually feel a lot of sensation in my head. So when I place my hands on my forehead and the back of my head, it is really, really grounding for my central nervous system. Um, I'd like to know what your tips are. Yeah. Um, so the, the, you talked about the five, four, three, two, one, that's what we usually use for panic attacks. So if that's working for you, that's awesome. Um, the other thing I would highly recommend is, um, regulating your breathing. Um, when we're triggered or feeling highly stressed, I talked about that heart rate increasing. You tend to like shallow breathe when you're a little bit stressed out and you tend to hunch over cause you're trying to protect those organs, right? You naturally tend to hunch over. So just noticing your posture and like kind of sitting up and allowing yourself to kind of do some deep breathing, deep, slow breathing um, is really helpful. The other thing is boxed breathing. Um, so I don't like to give a specific number of breaths, but let's, for the sake of this um, example, I'll say three. So if you inhale for that count of three, really deep into your nose and then hold it for a count of three. And as you hold it, you kind of have to close your nose, close your mouth, um, you know, imagine your eyes are closed, your ears are closed, kind of all the orifices in your body, everything is tensed and closed um, for a count of three, and then you release for a count of three. Um, if three is not comfortable for you, try five, try eight, whatever works for you. I don't like to give a certain number because if that's not comfortable for you, it might actually cause you to hyperventilate. So um, boxed breathing is really helpful um, to, to calm the system down and to help people feel more grounded. Um, Andrew, you talked about touching um, your head. Um, in somatic therapy, we actually talk a lot about um, feeling uh, your feelings in your body, the sensations in your body. So if you're feeling really tensed and you're out and about and you're coming back from the grocery store in your car, um, try just sitting and, and doing exactly what Andrea said. Um, kind of take a minute and think, where am I feeling this in my body? Um, if you're feeling it kind of in your or in your neck, just put your hands there. If you feel it in your chest, your head, wherever you're feeling, just kind of um, touch that area and take a few deep breaths there um, and just notice it. Um, just give it some awareness. The point is not for it to go away. 
but the point is to kind of recognize it and give it some space. So maybe you might want to roll your shoulders back, like I said, take a few deep breaths, um, and just breathe into that feeling. And if you're feeling it in your head, um, try putting your hand on your head or even just sit with like just focusing on it. Um, we also sometimes say if you could um, imagine it as an object, what shape would it be? So if I was talking about your, could I try it with you right now, Andrew? Could we? You sure. Okay, let's try to bring back that pain that you were having in your head and neck. Um, if you could pinpoint where it was, you know, kind of remember where it's it not was. So, it's not so much a pain, I, but when I have anxiety, I feel like a, almost like a numbness in the back of my head. Yeah, so it's okay. right there, yeah. And if you could describe it um, in a shape, does it have a shape? It's round, radiating. Okay, round. And if you had to describe it as a texture, is it smooth or bumpy? Does it have a texture? No. No, I don't think so. Okay. Um, does it have a color? Just gray. Okay, so a gray, round, kind of like a ball shape. It doesn't really have a texture. Um, is it big or small, heavy, light? It's thin. It's like a, a shell around the back of my head. Okay, a thin shell, so kind of lighter, not very heavy? Yeah. Okay, so if you just kind of focus on imagining this thin, light, um, grayish shell shape in the back of your mind, if you wanna close your eyes to kind of imagine that, and just kind of do some of those deep belly breaths that I talked about in through your nose and out through your mouth. And just take a couple of breaths with your shoulders relaxed um, and just, see what's happening to it. It might still stay there. That's totally fine. The point is not for it to go away. We're just giving it some space. Mm -hmm. And it's not super heightened right now uh, also. So it's just, I mean, I always do get a little bit anxious when I'm speaking to people, which surprises people because I do it all the time, but I do. Um, so I do, I find that when I take, for me, it it only takes one or two breaths for me to shift things. When I remember, to, when I remember to breathe, my life, a little thing that I do also, I live for the sticky notes. The sticky notes are everywhere. The sticky notes on the mirror. I love you. The sticky notes in the morning. You rock girl. Hey, Andrea, don't forget to breathe. You're doing the best you can. Yeah. Um, I just actually, I hadn't had sticky notes for a while, so I just bought a big pile when I was out at the store the other day. I was like, it is definitely a sticky note situation. <laughs> yeah, I, someone who well to positive affirmations, put them everywhere. Put, put them, you know, where you wake up or where you're brushing your teeth in the morning. If that works for you, that's a great tip too. Uh, I just got a question. I have two questions for you, actually. Um, is it normal for a child to be over-emotional over everything? Uh, my child's been super emotional for four years, screaming, crying, um, not sure how to stop or help the situation. So again, um, this is an ongoing situation. And I, I, I actually personally know this parent and have done, has done a lot of advocacy. This is, I've done some advocacy for this family. And, uh, um, you know, like so many people, the waiting lists are so long and she's not getting the support she needs. And, you know, I think in this case, uh, I would like to now quickly ask you, because I don't know that you can answer that question completely without knowing more background about this child. Do you, do you or yourself 
offer low sliding scale services for families who are on a fixed or low income to kind of help them through these tough situations that they're left at home to deal with on their own. Absolutely. Um, Andrew, I'm actually offering pay what you can services right now, um, just because I feel like mental health supports should not be dependent on your income. Um, so I know um, many of my peers have sliding scales and they absolutely will take a look at your um, income situation and adjust um, their fees accordingly, for sure. Um, and then another question that was asked was, was there any good meditation slash relaxation apps that you recommend that you think are better than others? So I don't want to give a plug to any specific app because um, uh, I've only used one or two. So with my limited experience, I've, I've tried, um, I think it's Headspace, um, but there's a bunch of uh, free apps out there. If you guys just go to your app store, um, there's a bunch of free apps for guided meditation and things like that. I think Headspace even has like stories, if that's something that you like to fall asleep to or sounds, whatever um, kind of works for you. But um, yeah, I don't know too many that I personally use other than Headspace, but I can also um, send Andrea a link to some guided meditation scripts. If you're somebody who likes to read something rather than um, hear something, I've got a few books as well. Oh, that's awesome. Um, what happened here? Okay. Um, well, we're viewing. Can everyone see the screen share? <laughs> so that's good. Um, I was going to share it anyways, but I think Habib took me to it. Um, this is one of our participants today, um, Habib Ali, one of my good friends uh, and um, the founder of the One Love Gala. He's actually a uh, a uh, Muslim chaplain who actually goes into the prisons to support people and he and his team are doing an amazing job right now to um, raise uh, money and food uh, for the community in Toronto. So I'm going to share his info as well at the end. Uh, I also have um, shared a link, but of course this was today, but in honor of my son's birthday, which is one of the reasons we did this today because of our, uh, you know, just um, a way to honor my son's birthday to help us all become more trauma-informed in, in honor of the traumas that he is experiencing and still working through. He is incarcerated at this moment um, and we are not spending his birthday together and uh, I am doing a birthday fundraiser today for kids of incarcerated parents. So uh, no obligation, but I will share it. And if you even can just share in your community, uh, share the links I share to raise awareness about the amazing work that uh, both of these groups are doing, that would be amazing. Um, oh, we got another question. Lots of questions. I love the questions. Oh, wait, no, it's not a question. It's a statement. Um, uh, the tapping solution is also a great app uh, with free with free emotional freedom technique resources. Oh, thank you so much, Michelle. That's amazing. Michelle is also a therapist. Um, I have so many amazing people on this call today, um, and I do think that because we are getting towards the end, I wanted to just really open it up um, to everyone and just give you a chance to ask more questions. Or if you if you have something that you would like to share, like a tip or an idea, we've got a lot of other therapists on the call. <laughs> Um, um, so if you could, um, just, uh, oh my gosh, <laughs> I, 
I'm not sure why that keeps happening. There we go. Um, so does anybody have anything that they want to say or add or any questions? Um, we've got some really great questions. Um, are we good? Everybody getting a thumbs up? I would just love just to have that human connection. I would love it if anybody who's willing, um, and if you're not willing to introduce yourself, send me a quick chat right now, um, just saying, pass me, no thank you. Um, but otherwise, I will start in the top corner, and if you could just introduce yourself and, and let me know who you are, where you are, and how you're coping, I would, I would love that. Um, Cody, we'll start with you. Hi. Uh, hey. My name is Cody, and um, I'm a doula in St. Catharines, and I work primarily with um, young teenage mothers. Um, I'm very fortunate. I'm doing pretty okay. My husband hasn't lost his job. I was able to take a step back from my job um, so I can stay with our three children. However, um, my stress mainly comes from the girls that I'm working with because we went from seeing each other two, three times a week in a group setting to chatting on Facebook and uh, like the occasional Zoom meeting and most of them realizing that they can't have the support that they wanted when they go in to have their babies. Yeah. I'm, I'm deeply concerned about new mothers, especially vulnerable ones. And the attachment, the early attachment and the bonding period is, as like Santa said, is so crucial to their lifelong development. Um, you know, I've been seeing solutions, yeah. which I know, I don't know how long this is going to go on, but I'm seeing solutions. I'm just going to mute you again quickly, Cody, just so there's less feedback. I am seeing solutions about um, uh, cohorting with other families. Um, so like getting houses to partner. Um, I know that most people don't think it's a great solution, but I do think that we are going to have to at some point balance out the mental health risks with the physical risks because I'm sorry if I know somebody's in crisis and they're on the edge I'm going to their house no one's stopping me straight up so that's the risk I'm willing to take because I'm not going to see somebody I know in crisis spiral downwards I'm going to take the risk I don't expect that everyone should do that but I I do think that as, as this goes on and this is what we're seeing that um, uh, we are going to have to find some creative ways to support people who especially are, you know, like moms going through transitional periods in life. Um, Maggie, are you good to go? Hi, Maggie. Yep. Uh, hi. Hey, everyone. I'm a psychotherapist in training from UP, and uh, I just finished two of my placements in Cambridge, I think. Probably everyone know where Cambridge is. Uh, yeah. I work with uh, people, you know, we, we call them clients, just shows the respect, um, with different mental illness. And uh, I mostly wanted to support people at this time from cross-culture. But uh, yeah, I struggle with um, the meal of racism because particular people from Asia background East Asia, we don't like talk about emotions because social stigma. At the same time, I have to admit also myself because the childhood dramatic experience 
I never knew until recently I actually suffer from claustrophobia. So yeah, it was wow. myself too. But I somewhat now I'm I'm doing okay. But I could imagine people who are suffering from some sort of mental disturbance must be very, very difficult. Oh, yeah. Listen, I'm somebody who really doesn't leave my house a lot anyway, and I feel claustrophobic. So I can't imagine how how it is. I think about other people all the time. I'm I'm much a homebody. I've been working online for years. You know, not a lot has changed in my routine, but just knowing I can't go and do the things that I want to do is messing with me, right? So thank you so much for sharing that and thank you so much for your work. Um, Neil, you're good to go? Yeah, sure. Hey everyone, uh, my name is Neil, AKA Logic. Um, I'm with an organization called um, Stolen from Africa. We do um, cultural arts education um, in various capacities from predominantly from like a historical um, perspective. And we also support marginalized youth um, through various capacities, whether that's um, a lot of the topics we're talking about today, um, housing, court support, uh, um, various things. Um, so what's happening now is definitely um, put like a monkey wrench, you know, in some of the operations. Um, my office is actually located within the school. So we have a partnership with the Catholic School Board as well as the Toronto District School Board. And now everything's on pause. Um, you know, we had like placement students from Centennial College. So that's, you know, on, on pause right now as well. Um, what's interesting is that um, we've been moving a lot of our stuff online. We've spent a lot of time um, supporting young people on like Instagram, Facebook, and whatever. So we've been um, doing some of the program stuff that, that we do um, within the programs. We're moving them online as best as we can for now. Um, but it is a bit of a struggle because um, just like someone mentioned about um, you know working with like youth groups, um, they rely on that like positive human connection that. You know, yeah. that, that, you know, caring adults and whatnot. Um, a lot of the students that we work with don't have that at home. So, um, and a lot of them are not in great home environments either. So it's, um, you know, it, it puts a bit of like a frustration, but, you know, we, we try to get in where we can. And, you know, one thing that, that we always keep in mind from a youth worker perspective is that we just meet people where they are and like where we can. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a definite um, struggle for, for sure. I'm, I think about these kids all the time. Like it is just gives me, I think it's one of the things that feeds my personal anxiety that there are so many people in, especially young people in difficult situations that were being failed before all of this, that now it's just, uh, it just is so worrying to me. Um, and I know that you are such a great support for so many, so many young men and women, Neil. So thank you so much. And you know that, uh, whatever I can do to help you, I will for sure. So yeah for sure thank you hey Mike you got the floor you might have to unmute yourself on your end because depending on if you muted yourself there you go hey Mike hey hi everyone hey so uh, I was with Maggie last year at the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto it was my first year my first placement I'm moving into my second one next year so my ultimate goal is to become a registered psychotherapist here in the province of Ontario um, I'm also a personal trainer and I've done life coaching for several years now. Um, as I, I had said in, in my comment uh, initially, this thing was really hard for me. This COVID thing was, uh, you know, I started to, to meditate on it and think about it and think um, not that I want to compare myself to people in 
third world countries who've had their sense of safety ripped away from them because of war and such, but I started to get just a little bit of a glimmer as to what that might look like to have some enemy around every corner that you just don't know if it's going to be there or not. And um, so this has been a, an interesting time, but I was really interested in this particular topic um, because I, like many of us, have had my own trauma and I'm always looking for different ways to look at it. Really appreciate the talk about personal affirmations and EFT because at times in my life, personal affirmations at work have worked and at times in my life, personal affirmations have been crap. I just look at it. I, I, I say the affirmation and I go, oh, you're lying to yourself, right? But EFT helps me reverse that, you know? And uh, anyways, so that's me. So thanks. Thank you, Mike. Sandy. Can you hear me? I can. Hi, Sandy. Hi. Hi. So, Sandy Brown. I'm an HR professional. Whew, you're I hustling did. right now. You're, your life's yeah. a hustle. <laughs> it, yeah, it, it is. And then on the side, I, I have a passion for well-being and life, I do some life coaching and work with essential oils. And I want to touch on what you said earlier about core values. And I think that's what has been one of my greatest strengths and hopes and wanting to work with people right now is helping them like get clear on if you know one of your core values which for me is all about learning so for me to love learning how can I help other people learn during this time and find some sense of peace and strength and calm and wisdom and you know with the kids I, I thought it was really funny my daughter's biology teacher keeps messaging she's not like signing into the biology class and I'm like yeah and she's out like having life experiences don't worry she's learning right now and yes we will get her to do the minimum so Andrea totally understand what you're saying about the teenage kids right now but she's actually out serving in community working in the grocery store right now awesome and good for her having life experiences. so wherever I can help people have those light bulb <laughs> moments that's what I'm really trying to focus on for myself and for others right now to bring some hope. Oh, I love you, Sandy. I love you too, girl. We have to quickly bounce back. Neil, who's that precious little thing? Come on, you want to introduce yourself? What's your name? Donald Trump. Oh my gosh. Her name <laughs> is Donald Trump. It's, it's Michaela. Hi. Hi, Michaela. Nice to meet you. <laughs> All right. We're going to go here to Julianne. Hi, Julianne. Hi. How are you? Uh, I'm good. I'm, I'm hiding in my son's bedroom, hence the Star Wars decor. <laughs> I like it. It's amazing. Tell us about what's going on for you and COVID and your work. You must feel frustrated. Oh, that's how I feel. The struggle is real. Um, I'm a chaplain, so I work with um, men who are transitioning back to the community after federal incarceration. Um, so, um, how am I affected by this? Well, for one, my in-reach visits have been canceled, which is really tough because, um, uh, normally I, I visit the institutions regularly, like once a month roughly, um, and we're not able to do that. So those face-to-face -face contact is, uh, is, is filling, is, you know, hurting my heart a little bit. Um, but I have been writing letters to the guys that are inside and hoping that they're getting them in a timely manner and just, you know, sending them messages of hope and brain teasers and Sudoku and word searches and all that kind of fun stuff. 
Um, and then in the halfway house, um, I've been sort of adjusting my hours. Uh, I'm a mom of four, so I don't have childcare right now. And my husband's still working. Um, so we're trying to come up with some creative hours. Um, good thing about halfway house being 24 hour facility is that you can, you can go 24 hours. So I've been doing uh, evenings and, and weekends, which is a bit of shift, a shift for me. Um, but I got to spend Easter weekend with some of the residents. Um, so we, we had an Easter dinner together and sat around and watched YouTube and just chatted, which was really cool. Um, so I've also been reaching out to all of our former residents. Well, not all of them, but some of our former residents um, just to check on them and make sure that they're doing okay. Because as you mentioned, mental health and, and addiction um, is... It's a tough time in, in the best cases. And right now, um, people who normally rely on, you know, 12-step meetings and things like that, um, they don't have access to those. So just doing a lot of phone calls to be like, hey, how are you doing? Yeah, um, I think that... putting this together, Andrea. I think phone calls are really important. Like, it, not everybody has access to Zoom meetings, one. Uh, and two, I think texting is great. But I think right now, in this moment, picking up the phone and saying are you okay? You need to talk. Mm -hmm. Even if they don't answer, just leaving that call, leaving that voicemail. I think that that's really, really important. Um, mm -hmm. Thank you, Julianne, for all you do. I worry so much about the men and women inside right now um, because they are not, they are not getting their needs met at all. Um, and I try to ration my brain from thinking about it too much as I think about my own son. So um, well, I, Sorry, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, the other side, I, I've been trying to talk to any, I just want to say I've also been trying to reach out to any of the uh, correctional officers that I know who normally are difficult to get along with, um, really trying to be compassionate to them as well, because, um, you know, if they're not getting compassion poured into them, then they're definitely not going to be giving it to the men and women that are inside. So uh, um, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough go for everyone. Yeah. But you know what, that's emotional intelligence right there, right? I mean, we do have to look at people who don't have empathy and why do corrections officers end up becoming cold and distant because they don't know how to process their trauma. Uh, you know? And so, I mean, I, gosh, I could go on, that could be a whole seminar right there because I know people who have left that field, uh, but I'm going to close off with Habib here. Where's Habib? Can I get him off mute? You have to unmute yourself, Habib. Oh, wait, sorry, I just, there you are. Hi, Habib. Hello, I wasn't trying to speak. <laughs> Julian said everything on my behalf. Oh, okay. Well, I just wanted you to get a chance to talk about your work and all, you're always doing so many amazing things. Like basically your whole life is giving back. So literally morning, noon and night, I couldn't keep up with you if I tried, dude. <laughs> so I wanted to thank you for all well, you're doing. Thank you. Thank you for this. Thank you. Um, yeah, thank you for you, what you've done today. And, and thank you. Thank you for everything you've done. And again, we are proud that we could have had you at the One Love Gala. And we pray and our best wishes today for your son will go to his heart. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much, everyone. Uh, and thank you, Santa, for your time. Uh, what a wonderful, wonderful group of people that we had today. Um, it was so nice to just see so many caring people all in one place um, with all of our kind of collective ambitions are to help one another. You know, I didn't, I didn't know 
who was going to be able to come and, um, but I'm super happy with, uh, you know, all of uh, just, I was just, this made my, my day. I'm really, really grateful that you all were able to show up and Santa, the time that you contributed. And I hope that we walk away from this feeling a little stronger, a little fuller, ready to give a little more to ourselves and to others. Thank you, everyone. Happy birthday to your son. Thank you so much for that. And thank you, Santa Atikomar, for coming today and sharing with us your amazing insight on how to engage trauma-informed responses uh, in crisis. Um, and I wanted to thank all of the people who joined me today and joined Santa and also asked questions and shared personal stories. Um, this is a really tough time for all of us. Um, I think, as I've said numerous times, we need to learn from each other. We need to be patient. Um, this is a really important word to me on so many levels. We need to have grace. This is Andrea Page, and this is Hanging On for Hope.